You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. All right, fire Ken Williams, fire Rick Hahn, sell the team Jerry. This this is how I'm starting off every show now, Ed. I call decided... your friends, call your neighbors, call your sons. <laughs> I just want fire to, all of them. I just no. want to get out of the way at the beginning of every show. You know, like remember, like Boers and Bernstein on six seventy to score. They would they would always have like this intro where they go through all this stuff and say all their catchphrases, and eventually it got really long and really old and really tired and became kind of annoying. But there was a they would always go through their thing at the beginning of every show. And maybe I should do that on this show until these things come true so that I get it out of the way and then I don't talk about it for 30 minutes. You know, just very quickly, fire Kenny Williams. That hasn't changed. Fire Rick Hahn. That hasn't changed. We've been saying that for a long time. This isn't new. And Jerry sell the team. That hasn't changed. And maybe fire Jake Diekman into the sun. That those like I, I can add a few things every once in a while, but that way I'm not spending 30 minutes on it. Here's how bad the Sox bullpen is. I don't even think Jake Diekman's the biggest problem right now. Yeah, so. but he's my biggest problem. Wow, okay. <laughs> he's my he's my Larry Garcia this year. Like he's Okay, my, well, he's that, my... then there you go. So <laughs> so you've got all your catchphrases out of the way. Fire everybody and fire Jake Diekman into the sun. Welcome right. to Sox in the Basement. Welcome to Sox in the Basement, brought to you by uh, the home of the podcast for fans, by fans. Cork and Carey at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. It is a great place for pregame. And I, I say this over and over again. I was just there the again. other day. I was just there for the doubleheader against the Phillies with a Phillies fan. It, it had to be live there. There was more life in Cork and Carey at the park than there was in the entire ballpark. I can, I, I'm telling you, that's true. I, you know, when I go there, I never feel like it's miserable, right? Like, you know, sometimes you go into the ballpark or you worry about this team and you start to feel like this this dread, this like, oh, what am I going to see today? And who's pitching? And, oh, this isn't going to be good. And, oh, they're sending out a pitcher for his first major league start. I'm sure the White Sox will get no hit. Be like, you, you're like, all that is in the ballpark, right? Like, beforehand, when I'm at Cork, it's just fans and they're all talking to each other and you bump into people that you didn't expect to see. And, you know, the food's good and everything's reasonably priced and I don't have to stand in a long line and, 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 and search around the ballpark for it. I mean, like, make it part of your experience is what I always tell people. And every time I talk to somebody who goes and they try it for the first time, they sit there and they say, yeah, this is going to become what we do all the time. And you can bring the kids beforehand and then, you know, after the game, you, know, you get over there and, uh, and get some uh, post-game celebration in as well. Uh, I always like to let the parking lot empty out and uh, just relax over at the cork and kind of do a postmortem with whoever I went to go see the game with, good or bad, and it's much easier and less frustrating. So 33rd in Princeton, see more at corkandcarry.com. All right, uh, James Fox is going to be on the show. Uh, he's going to answer a few questions as to whether or not what I'm going to propose to you right now is feasible or if it's pie-in-the-sky crazy. I believe that I can make an instant impact on the White Sox pitching right now with a very simple set of moves. Okay, but but loading them up in a truck and deporting them isn't going to work. Most of them are American citizens. <laughs> Besides that, I believe that I could do something right now. I believe the White Sox today should do this thing. Because, look, I, I look at the stats for this team and you could do a quick look right now on any any page that you prefer to look at, and you could find an awful lot going on 
well. It doesn't matter. The stats are terrible no matter where you look. Well, no, no, no. There's a lot of good things when you look at the overall numbers of the offense right now. We've got a lot of guys who have OPS well, you, pluses. But you were talking about pitching. I, I'm Offensively, I'll agree with you. Offensively, I don't I don't really have much of a problem with the team. It's the pitching. Yeah, but it, it, it's the pitching. The pitching is just a letdown this I'd year. like to see Andrew Benintendi do a little bit better in terms of hitting the ball for power, but he's hitting 273 right now. I don't think that's the reason why you're losing games. Oscar Colas is, you know, he's a rookie. He's trying to figure it out. I don't know what Aloy Jimenez is doing at the plate, but let's look at the pitching. On this team, the the entire staff's current walks and hits per innings pitch, their whip, is 1.575 for the season. That's a base runner and a half every single inning. That's why you give up so many runs. The only guys that are doing very well in terms of keeping guys off base, Dylan Cease with a 1.075, and uh, Lucas Giolito with a 1.238 whip, okay? And then acceptable, acceptable middle relief whips. Jimmy Lambert with a 1.345. That's okay for middle relief. Kenyon Middleton with a 1.385. And then outstanding relief pitching in a small sample size, but we talked about him in the offseason, and I said I would like to see him make this team, but I don't think he's going to because it's too overloaded with guys with bad deals and Jake Diekman, who you traded for and you didn't really need. Tanner Banks continues to make me feel good about Tanner Banks with a 1.0000000 whip, okay? And he's probably the most effective left-handed pitcher you have, and you didn't even break camp with him. And right now, if I had to bring out a lefty, I'd rather have Banks come out over Bummer or Diekman. Who are who are make me nervous right away? The moment I, the moment I see them warming up, I'm like, oh no! Like they don't they don't give me any faith in them whatsoever. And if I had to rank my left-handed pitching right now, I would I I believe in Banks, and I think that Bummer at least brings skills. He's shaky. He drives my dad nuts. Okay, I I, I know a lot of fans they 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 get very nervous when he's out there, but from time to time he can be effective. Well, here's here's the thing with with Aaron Bummer. Let me, let me interject one thing on Aaron Bummer, okay? I think Bummer's problem right now, and I think he had this last year, is the defense lets him down at various points. And he is a guy that has to be pitched to contact. When Aaron Bummer gets in his mind, he cannot trust his infielders. He tries to strike guys out, and that's when he gets into trouble. When he's most effective is when he lets the ball do what it does best out of his hand, which is let guys ground weakly. I, I have a feeling, and this is not a knock on Jake Berger, but I have a feeling that without the infield of Mancata, Anderson, Andrews, and Vaughn, when it's Berger out there, when it's somebody else at second base, and when Hanser Alberto's making, you know, bad errors in, in the ninth inning, I think I think that's where, where Aaron Bummer's problem is. I bet you he comes back around. Jake Diekman is he just scares me. Well, you can see you can see Bummer's his fielding independent pitching is under four, even though his ERA is 7.50. So, th- of course, that, that right there kind of speaks to what you're saying. It's the it's the defense behind him. And there may be another reason why pitchers are getting exposed a little bit who rely on defense. Uh, in fact, uh, this gives me an opportunity to play this call that came in, SoxandBasement.com. Go ahead. You can call us or send us something through the contact page anytime. This came in about a week ago while I was on vacation, but I'd like to add it to this conversation. Hi, my name is George from Lincoln the Hills. I was just uh, listening to your guys' podcast for today. Great show, as always. Uh, touching on the, on the no-shift rule and how that's going to impact the game. Me, personally, what I've seen, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen, is it's like a lot of people, for example, Yuan Nakata, how many times did he hit into, you know, 
in, into the ship and automatically was like an automatic out. Now you're seeing a lot of his balls, and I'm sure a lot of other players' balls just go right through. So where that guy was in the middle cutting that off, he's not there anymore. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot more more pitchers get exposed, as I like to say. So even that, too, could be adding a little bit of trouble to Aaron Bummer. Here's what I would do right now. You would clone Tanner Banks and just have him all over the staff. Just all kinds of Tanner Bankses. Well, I, I yeah. don't have any cloning technology, okay? That's just something they're okay. forcing down my throat in uh, The Mandalorian uh, so they can explain those terrible last three movies in Star Wars, uh, which is driving me nuts. But here, Jake Diekman. Jake Diekman DFA'd today. Done with him. I, I can I can get along with that, yeah. DFA Jake Diekman right now. Then what I want you to do is I want you to take Michael Kopech and put him in the bullpen. Yep, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm done with watching him start games. He is, I'm going to tell you, I think any White Sox fan that's watched him in action and then watched when he was coming out of the pen and being used in specific situations where you go one to two innings, he's very effective. But he is not the kind of guy that is going to be able to go out there consistently and pitch uh, you know, deep into a game, go through a lineup multiple times, and, and consistently be a good pitcher. I'm sorry. I know that that may... What I'm saying at this point, the problem is, makes Rick Hahn look bad. And that's why these moves won't get made. But they're the right move to make. It makes Rick Hahn look bad that Michael Kopech is only a relief pitcher. It makes Rick Hahn look bad because Jake Diekman, who he traded for unnecessarily, is not a good pitcher and needs to be DFA'd and you have to eat the money. It makes you look bad, Rick, but it's how you immediately impact your team because you're having so many problems in the bullpen. I think you take a guy who's middling and having a hard time in the rotation. And when you move him into the bullpen, you actually make your bullpen better. Releasing Diekman makes your bullpen better. And then what we do is we go down into the minors. And if it isn't Davis Martin, then it's Sean Burke, who James Fox told us in the offseason. Here's a guy who's got a real shot of not only making the rotation, but could stick there. That was his dark horse. And the more I read about him, I go, I, I take him up here right now. I take Davis Martin up here right now. I would give somebody else an opportunity every fifth start to come up here and play. And if you get an off day, you skip him. And I would take one of those guys and do that just to move Kopech into the bullpen because I think he's very effective and he's a better player and he's more valuable to you as somebody can go out there and get high-impact innings in a game in the bullpen, and he would give you more, he would strengthen your bullpen because he's not doing anything for your rotation right now. And then I want you out there listening right now to go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors. Smooth transition. No high-pressure sales. They're not coming into your house. They're not going to sit in your kitchen. They're not going to tell you, if I walk out the door, the deal's never going to be there again. You're not looking through a book to look at all the little window etchings and the extras and the add-ons. They have everything right there in their showroom, full size. The owners are in the showroom and they're at the site when they're doing the install. All of the installers work directly for Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. That's how they give you the great quality they have been giving the area for the past 40 years. They've been in Oak Forest since 1985 with all major brands custom made with no stock items for a perfect fit. They're one half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. Get in there. Say hi. Tell them we sent you. WindowDoorOakForest.com. 
One of the things that people keep yelling about, I notice this on social media, is the idea of like, oh, Mike Clevenger had a bad start. He's terrible. Mike Clevenger, if you look at all these stats, is the second or third best pitcher right now in the rotation. You just don't like Mike Clevenger because of what he was accused of. I understand that. But he's got the third best whip. He's got the third best fielding independent pitching in the rotation. And he's got the second best earned run average. All right. He's, he's almost a win above replacement. He's been one of the most valuable players on the team when you look at him through the eyes of B-War to this point. Now, does that mean he's a superstar? No. Does that exonerate him of anything you don't like him for? No. But stop telling me that he should be the guy that gets jettisoned out of the rotation. Michael Kopech should be moved to the bullpen. And I think that strengthens your team. Before I get to Fox, what do you think about that, Ed? Well, okay. So looking at Michael Kopech's splits. So... As a starter in his career, he's got 36 games started, okay? And his whip is 1.225. His ERA, 3.80. So you look at that and you go, okay, those are those aren't terrible numbers. As a reliever, his ERA is 3.90. His whip is 1.229. So you're sitting there, so you're saying he's he looks better in the bullpen, right? He's better, he's more impactful in the bullpen. And those two numbers alone, you sit there and go, well, yeah, but he looks like the same guy. Here's the difference, okay? His strikeouts per nine as a reliever is 13. That is a high level for a pitcher, 13 strikeouts per nine innings, okay? As a starter, it's 8.7. That is a massive gap. That's almost five strikeouts per inning. It's because eight, he, can you know, go, he can just go for it. He can just go out there and go for it. For the three batters or the six batters he's going to face, he can just go out there and go for it. Right. And his strikeouts per walk, the ratio is 3.81 as a reliever. It's 2.18. So it's a lot closer strikeouts and walks. Now, the other thing is, here's what Michael Kopech's Achilles heel is. He's a fastball slider pitcher. Okay. He does not have an effective third pitch at this point in his career. He still has not developed one. His changeup is used extremely sparingly and to okay results. His curveball, which he used a lot last year, had some effective results, but I think it's more effective in in a bullpen role than it is trying to get him through the third time in in the in the lineup, right? And and as you turn over the lineup against a starter, he just is a little bit too predictable. He can get you through the lineup once over a couple of innings as a reliever and absolutely save the rest of the bullpen. He can get you through high leverage situations because he is a strikeout guy. And when he can come in and let it fly, he's going to be that much better. But yeah, he's, you're not wrong in saying that he looks that way. And it is one of those things too, where now again, in this rebuild, this rebuild, which is a massive failure, by the way, I I just, I'm tired of even calling it a retool because I'm, I'm literally talking to my brother-in-law, who's a huge Phillies fan while we're at the game the other day. Okay. And he is talking about all the high-level pitching prospects that the Phillies have drafted that they're waiting on. Because it it started when we were talking about how Gavin Floyd was an untouchable until he got traded to the White Sox for Freddie Garcia. And and how the untouchable Phillies starting pitching prospects become very touchable at some point and then are kind of a mixed bag in in their major league careers. But as he's talking about it, I'm sitting there thinking, like, well, who are the White Sox top-level high – like? This is the can't miss, going to be the next days of the staff pitching prospect that was drafted. And, and I'm having a hard time coming up with one. I know they just signed a guy out of Cuba, and I'm not worried about international signings right now. But It may be Matthew Thompson, and we'll talk to Fox about that, because it may be him. Maybe may Matthew Thompson, right? But, but that's one guy. So you're talking about Davis Martin. You're talking about Tanner Banks, who's a 31-year-old guy, coming up and, and helping. So Michael Kopech and Ronaldo Lopez, as part of the rebuild, coming in and both ending up as relievers, 
not necessarily even a high leverage closer or, or you know a top end guy. You're right; it looks bad for Rick Hahn. However, if you're trying to win a championship, look. Sometimes that's what pitching prospects are. Sometimes they they sit there and go, okay, this guy was stretched out to be a starter, but really he is going to destroy out of the bullpen for 60-some-odd games. I would love, I would love to see Michael Kopech. I would love to hear Michael Kopech's entrance music, whatever that would be, okay, and have, you know, have at a home game, a home playoff game, have him coming in in a high-leverage situation and the place going nuts. You know that stadium can rock when everybody's really, when it's packed in there and everyone's yelling. I would love to have him come on and, strike out Jose Altuve in a huge situation and just have everybody go insane. I would forget that he was supposed to be the ace of the staff when you traded Chris Sale. Listen, there, Major League Baseball has high-level prospects that don't make it to be starters that become very good relief pitchers. It, it, it happens. The problem is, is that Rick Hahn has always had a complex. He doesn't like to be told he's wrong. For a guy that says that he only listens to the 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 fans that love the Sox and think that uh, and are very positive. I guarantee you, Rick Hahn listens to this show. I know Rick Hahn listens to this show. I've seen Rick Hahn in comments make com like when he's talking to the press, say something that specifically references back to some criticism that we gave earlier in the morning on the show. I know he right. listens to the other White Sox podcast. I know he's very aware of all of them. He may sit there and say, "Oh, who are they? I've never heard of them." He knows exactly who they are. I've been told by people inside the organization he listens to it. So trust me, he, he he anger listens to all this stuff. For a guy who says he doesn't pay attention to White Sox Twitter, he sure knows what it's. Saying, okay, he's that guy who says, I don't use social media and he's on it 12 hours a day. What he should be doing is learning more about his players and figuring out what he's going to do with this staff. This would be a great solution. And I guarantee if you dive deeper into those stats and we don't have time for it because I want to get James Fox that second time through the lineup, Michael Kopech is far less effective. That move right there, bringing up somebody to be the fifth starter who is, I, I guarantee whoever you bring up is going to find a way to be more effective than what he's doing right now. And if that guy doesn't work, bring another guy up and, and skip him out when they, when you have it, when you have an off day and you can skip the fifth starter and, and, and play baseball that way and get him into the bullpen, strengthen your bullpen, get rid of Deekman. You still have two lefties and Tanner Banks is effective. James Fox on the show. How are you, James? Good, sir. How's it going? Good. You're over at Future Sox. You're you're my expert in this area. I, uh, we're, we're talking about the idea of finding somebody else to put into this rotation because I think if you could slide Michael Kopech into the into the bullpen where he's a one-to-two inning reliever who can go in and just throw fastballs and strike guys out and try to overpower them and not have to worry about going through multiple innings, that it would help your your bullpen, but you got to find that fifth starter. Do we have one that you would be comfortable bringing up? Uh, comfort, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think Davis Martin's okay. Like, after, like, what he, you know, he was pretty good last year, minus that, that final start, obviously, where he got hurt and everybody kind of freaked out. But, I mean, his last start um, at Charlotte was really good, and he goes again. We're talking Thursday afternoon. He goes again tonight for Charlotte, so... We'll see how that is. I think, you know, one thing that's interesting about that is I think you could make the argument that Davis Martin, you know, should be up with the big league club right now anyway as maybe their long man. But, like, I, I don't really like that plan, but I've seen some people on Twitter kind of talking about, like, hey, like, why isn't Davis Martin on the big league club? I think it's because they want him starting in case something happens. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely the next guy. You know, A.J. Alexi was once a pretty heralded prospect that's, Bounced around, got DFA'd a bunch of times. He's actually on the White Sox 40-man starting in Charlotte um, 
So he's probably the next option after that, honestly. But, you know, as far as prospects go, Sean Burke, um, third-round pick a couple years back, he, he would be the guy, you know, I guess that would be, like, the most exciting. I just don't think they would use up a 40-man spot on Sean Burke until they actually see Davis Martin and A.J. Alexi in the role. And James Fox of Future Sox brought you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond. Visit LamontDowntown.com. Is the biggest problem that they don't have very much down there in the minors and haven't developed it over the years? Or is the problem that they can't get out of their own way to move away from guys on the major league roster and try the guys out in the minors? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a little bit of both. Like they don't have a ton of depth, but I mean, like, you know, like they do have some guys that are interesting that I think you could just like cycle through and potentially find combos. Right. But like, you just have so many guys on the big league roster that you can't like do anything with. Right. Like you either have to designate guys for assignment or like let them keep pitching because it's not like you can option. And look, Joe Kelly looks like looked okay. Right. But I mean, you're like Joe Kelly's and Jake Deakman's and those type guys. You, you can't just like option them to the minors and take a look at a prospect. You have to like get rid of them. And while I think that is probably like going to happen at some point here with like Jake Deakman, because you are going to have Garrett Crochet and Liam Hendricks back, right? And I think we kind of know who the expendable guys are. But this is just like to go off topic a little bit. It's just like why spending this much money on relief pitching is like really just doesn't make much sense. Because you have a guy like Frank Franklin German, who you picked up this offseason has 10 strikeouts and seven innings pitched in Charlotte. Nicholas Padilla's numbers are pretty good. He's on your 40 man. He was a waiver claim from the Cubs. And then you have this whole host of others like Lane Ramsey and Sammy Peralta, who like could be effective at some point, not to mention like you have actual relief prospects in Birmingham, Gil Luna, Caleb Freeman, Luke Schilling, guys like this. And, and they won't all be good. Right. But you could like cycle through them to find out who is. They just signed Alex Colomay for like no money. Like it, it just, this is why you, you know, you don't spend like a third of the, you know, your budget on, on relief pitching like they've consistently done. And I hope they move away from, but yeah, man, I, th- I think the roster is the biggest issue just because there's like not very much flexibility on it. I think Jimmy Lambert and uh, Gregory Santos are the guys that started in your bullpen. Like those are the only two guys that were, that had options. Yeah. And, and the real shame is that you'd have to admit defeat. You'd have to admit that I spent money badly and did something wrong constructing my roster to do the right thing and start getting some other bodies in here to improve what's going on coming out of this bullpen. I keep going back to the idea that Jose Ruiz survived on your team for about 10 days when you could have kept Nick Avila instead of returning him and he was pitching well in the minors. It, it, it still boggles my mind how they just can't say this guy didn't work out I know we paid him or I know he's out of options, but you know what? He's out of options for a reason because he wasn't that good. It's time to move on. Well, I, I mean, I guess I am glad that they cut bait as soon as they did. Like, I thought they would just, like, keep going. I mean, it does seem like one thing, and I don't know how much Pedro Griffal has to do with it, right? But it does seem like they have a pretty low tolerance this year for guys that are just terrible. Like, they, they've just kind of been – and, like, look, I think Jake Diekman is – probably next on that list. I mean, obviously, like, it's going to take a little bit here for, for Garrett Crochet to come back. And that's where, like, if, if the Sox could just normalize a little bit and get closer to 500, like, you might be able to hang around a bad division because 
look, I mean, the bullpen looks a lot better if you have Liam Hendricks and Garrett Crochet in it. And you can use Ronaldo Lopez in, like, this fireman role. You, you know what I mean? Like, Ronaldo Lopez could come in in the sixth if your starters aren't going that deep instead of, like, you having to rely on him to close. I mean, the problem is now, like, when you're on your 11th, 12th, 13th guys, I mean, like, Jeffy Schulten's pitched out of the big out of the bullpen this year, you know? And I think a little, like, people were worried to see uh, Keenan Middleton. Like, I was too. And then his stuff looked good, right? But th- there's a million Keenan Middletons which, again, is like a reason why you shouldn't be spending money on relief pitching. All right, that's James Fox. He's from Future Sox. He's nice enough to jump on real quick and uh, try to evaluate whether or not my plan is even possible. It actually sounds like it's possible. It's just something they just won't do because they can't get out of their own way. James, thanks so much, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, man. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. That music means the Sox Nerd is joining us. Dave Marin sits up there running all the the tidbits and the trivia and all the cool stuff that you see at White Sox home games. He also writes an amazing blog that you can find at SoxInTheBasement.com and he joins us once per week to give us some in-depth statistics and maybe things you may never have even thought of. Sox Nerd on the line. How are you? Good, Chris. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm not good with the team. I'm not good with a lot of things that are going on. I'm very nervous this is going to be a rough season. Uh, What does it it feel like for you sitting there in the stadium right now early on with this bad start? First of all, I'm happy to have baseball back, number one. I'm happy to be working. And uh, I just take it one pitch, one stat, one letter at a time and hope it all comes out for the best. But, yeah, I mean, we're all frustrated by it and hopefully it gets turned around soon. What do you got for me this week? Chris, you know my jam. If I don't like what's transpiring on the field, I ignore it and turn my attention elsewhere. Today, that elsewhere is Canada. With the White Sox heading to Toronto soon, I thought I'd delve into the team's history and connections to the Great White North. There was a time when the Blue Jays absolutely dominated the White Sox. Through 2011, the Sox were 163 and 187 against their neighbors to the north. Included in that dark age was a loss in the Blue Jays' first game, the inaugural American League contest on foreign soil, and the last game at Exhibition Stadium where Bobby Thigpen surrendered a walk-off home run to Robbie Alomar. Not included in that bad run against the Jays was the six-game loss 
in the 1993 American League Championship Series, which was there for the taking for the White Sox. Oh, if the Sox had only started Wilson Alvarez in Game 1 and gotten, oh, I don't know, more than one RBI from their DH, but I digress. Since 2012, things have gotten a little bit better. The Sox are 39-30 and 30 against Toronto in that time, winning seven of the last ten season series with one split. Do you want more reason for optimism? Vaughn is coming off an absolutely historic campaign against Toronto. He hit a searing 500 against the Jays last season, which was the highest ever by a Sox player and seventh all-time by a player with uh, 26 bats against the Jays. He also hit two homers against Toronto last season, which led the team. Luis Robert Jr. was also good against the Jays, hitting 400 with one homer and nine RBI. Those nine RBI were the most by a Sox player against the Jays since, here are two names for you, Chris, Alex Rios and Adam Dunn each had 10 in 2012. Oh, I hate those names. (laughs) With the Sox (laughs) heading to a dome, I always like to revisit one of the most underrated stats in team history, James Baldwin's indoor record. The big right-hander was 12-1 with a 2.30 ERA in domes for the White Sox between 1995 and 2000. His 9.23 winning percentage under glass is the highest in Sox history among pitchers with more than five decisions, and his 12 dome wins are second in team annals to Mark Burley's 16. Burley, by the way, was a rather pedestrian 16-15 and 15 in domes for the Sox. So, Chris, that's my long-winded way of saying I wish James Baldwin were starting three games in Toronto next week. My zinger, the White Sox have never had a Canadian homer in Canada. However, the Sox have had two Canadians earn wins in Canada, Kirk McCaskill and Jesse Crane. And now I will conclude this with a stirring rendition of the Canadian National Anthem. (laughs) I'm kidding. You see how the Oakland A's are uh, are moving to Vegas? That uh, they're breaking on what uh, what Thursday? Yeah, and, and following the Raiders out of Oakland. Yeah, I know, and they're they're heading to Las Vegas. And you know what? I understand Oakland A's fans being mad. And the reason I bring it up though is that White Sox fans almost had this happen to them. That horrible stadium down in Tampa Bay we, was built we for went, the White yeah, Sox. Yeah, we went through it. Right, and and I remember I was a little kid walking around in the Ashburn neighborhood or St. Dennis Parish with a, a clipboard that I had printed out. Like, uh, what, is, what is that? When you walk around, you try to get people to sign a petition. I got a petition. A petition, yeah. You're you trying to get a petition signed to, to save the team. I was a little kid. Guessing. I was a little kid walking around with my petition, getting the neighborhood, knocking on doors. You used to do that back then. You used to speak to your neighbors before all these cell phones and everything else. Okay. And I would knock on doors and be like, Mr. So-and-so, will you sign my petition to keep the White Sox in Chicago? And they'd laugh like, kid, there's no way you're going to stop this idiot billionaire who doesn't know what he's doing from moving the team if he wants to. But I still did it. And then my local state representative heard about it from a neighbor and came down and knocked on my door. Completely different time, the 80s. Okay, we, we actually all spoke to each other. It's amazing. That's why there weren't as many problems. And then I, I handed him the, the petition and he read it into the log in the Illinois State uh, House as part of the whole thing to try to sway the state of Illinois to do what they could to keep the Chicago White Sox. So I was actually Chris Lanuti was part of keeping the White Sox as a child. So as a child, you're a lobbyist. I was a lobbyist as a child to keep the White Sox in Chicago. That's how much I love this team. That's a true story, okay? 
And you could probably go back into the records when it was all read and find the petition by this little, I don't know how old I was, okay, probably only single digits at that time, walking around trying to save the White Sox. That's how much See, I love Meanwhile, living on the north side when I was, uh, as I was as a kid when they were talking about doing this, just all the Cubs fans in the neighborhood were like, well, good, you can go with them. Yeah. So Yeah, well, they're, they're a bunch of jerks. So, so here's the thing. I, I'm thinking about this, what happened to the A's, and it struck me that they're saying in 2027 is when they hope to open up in Las Vegas, which means if you're an Oakland A's fan, you will now endure the 2023 season, the 24 season, the 25 season, and the 26 season. Nearly four full seasons of A's baseball knowing they're leaving you and they're walking out the door on you. And I asked the question, if you were to wake up tomorrow and find out that evil Jerry Reinsdorf has decided he's moving his team and was walking out the door, but it was going to be several years before he actually left. Would you remain a White Sox fan knowing they were going to leave in a couple of years, or would you pull away from the team, stop spending money, and try to find another team to root for? See, I, that's that's the hard part, right, is, is I've got so many decades invested in this team right now. And it's part of what people identify me as, right? Oh, you're, you're a White Sox fan. You're, you know, you do a White Sox podcast. When people don't know what to get me for Christmas and my birthday, they just throw me some White Sox swag, right? So it, it becomes part of the fabric of who you are as a fan. So it's really hard to give that up. I mean, it, it's, it's almost like saying, I'm just waking up one day and saying, I'm just going to divorce my wife and leave my kids. I know there's some people who can do that, but it's not something that is an easy decision and honestly when people do that we look at them and we're like what the heck happened Are they, what psychosis did they wake up with are they are we sure there's not a medical issue so i don't know i i don't know that i could just leave them and go to another team i'm also too big of a baseball fan to sit there and say i'll never watch baseball again i would probably just root for them on the sidelines honestly like i i look over at this whole thing and i go gosh i'm so glad i'm not an A's fan right now but it almost happened to us in the 80s and yet I'm still here, Ed. That's what's crazy about it. I'm still here doing a White Sox podcast after they almost did this to me in the 80s. I should have walked away then. Well, here's the one bit of good news. There would be an opening in Chicago for Bob Nutting to move the Pirates or the Rays to move up here because they don't draw. No! No! I take the Rays. The Rays win baseball games. I, I, oh, I, really, I'd, be, I'd be praying for the Rays. Bring me I the really Rays. Would that would be the best one. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh Maybe Jerry can move the team to Vegas and we can get the Rays up here. I, mean, I think we just won that one. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.